Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, I have the opportunity to share from the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, as we talk about the importance of embracing God's Word. Now, if you live in Northwest Arkansas and you're looking for a church to call your own, we would love to have you come and to worship with us. You can worship with us in person or online. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings. You can find more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or by emailing us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now, if you have questions or would like to talk with someone, call us at 479-442-4634. Again, I'm sharing about the importance of embracing God's Word and the truth of God's Word. Let's listen together. Again, we're in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 27. We're going to be looking at one of the seven churches of Revelation, the church at Pergamum. Holding to the truth of God's Word, embracing the truth of God's Word. You know, it's been several months, but since we aren't in a series right now, it's a perfect time for us to look again to the seven churches of Revelation. When I began this series, I shared that it might take some time, because most of the time when Pastor Kirk asked me to share, I'll step right into whatever series is going on, but there are moments like this, that he said, well, I'll preach whatever you want, and I'm like, awesome. So we're going to go look again at this series that I said that we'd start. The first message was back in April of this past year. Then number two was in August, and so we're number three. So at this pace, I'm not sure if I'll end up with my doctor of ministry first or we'll finish the series first. Either way, you might be wondering what's drawn me to this passage. But over the past year and a half to two years, I've been studying about church revitalization at Midwestern. Revelation 2 and 3 are clearly passages that deal with this needed topic. Dr. Tom Cheney, who is my, on my dissertation committee, has even wrote a book on the portion of Scripture called The Seven Pillars of Church Revitalization. It's a small, short book that just talks about how these chapters, these short letters to the churches, are related to that topic of church revitalization. In these two chapters, Revelation churches are praised, they're condemned, they're encouraged to change. The great need for awareness in church revitalization is modeled as Jesus points out both the high and the low points for each church. So I'd encourage you, spend some time there. Read through these two chapters and say, okay, where does this connect with Calvary? What do I see here that might be related to our church? And that's part of what we'll be looking at today. The first church that Jesus addressed through the Apostle John in the book of Revelation was the church at Ephesus. We shared that message right before we started a series on Ephesians. There, Jesus shared that the church needed to return to its first love. There were good things that had been going on, good things that they had been doing, but there was a need to fix where they were at, and they needed to point their hearts toward Jesus Christ. So we learned that a revitalized church is a church that loves God wholeheartedly. That's the aim. That's the goal that we should have, to love God wholeheartedly. As you walk in, our church at the very back here, or the very entrance, you're going to see our church exists to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. We are to be a great commandment church. The second church that Jesus addressed was the church at Smyrna. 
Jesus shared, do not fear, and he wanted to encourage them as they were about to face some very difficult times. There we learn that a revitalized church is a church that places faith over fear, trusting God even when it's difficult. And as we know, that has been hard over this past year and a half to two years. But it's what God calls us to do. Today's message, we want to look at the third church that Jesus addressed in Revelation, the church at Pergamum, and see this truth. A revitalized church is a church that embraces the truth of God's Word. I'm so excited how God puts these things together. We had an emphasis today on the Word as we heard from the Gideons. We heard about the stories about how powerful God's Word is and how it changes lives here in America and all around the world. But a revitalized church embraces the truth of God's Word. So let's look at our text. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 There the Bible says this, And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And so also you have also hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for a day like this when we can celebrate how your word is impacting this world. Father, I ask that as we look at this passage of scripture, you'll help us understand and embrace this truth that we need to embrace your truth, your word. Father, I hope that to be our cry here at Calvary. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, as we look at most of these passages in Revelation chapter 2, and, and as well as Revelation chapter 3, falls a, a little bit of a pattern. Now, you're not going to find these divisions written out in your Bible, but there is this idea that there's a commendation. That here you go, that's a good job. They get a pat on the back for something that they did, and they did really well. There's a condemnation, something that they have done poorly or that they have messed up altogether and that they need to to fix. And then there is a correction given. Here's what you need to do to step in that uh, sequence and head towards what is right and what is my will. Then there are the consequences given. This pattern of four things, that's what we're going to follow today as we step through this passage and understand that a revitalized church is a church that embraces the truth of God's Word. My hope and prayer is that Calvary is a church that embraces the truth of God's Word. What was their commendation? What was that thing that they did and they did well? Well, the church of Pergamum is one that held fast to Jesus. We find that In verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. 
Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. In spite of their surrounding society and community, they stood faithfully, knowing that their actions could cause them great trial and great difficulty. There are two things that are mentioned here specifically. Jesus refers to the city as to where Satan's throne is, and that's a pretty significant statement. It paints a pretty bad picture of what it was like for those that lived there. It was a given title for a couple of possible reasons. It was a bad place. It was full of what Christ followers would call as evil. We have to remember who is the voice of this passage. It's Jesus. Your Bible, if it's a red letter edition, shows this all shows up as Christ speaking. He said, this is where Satan's throne is. It's also called that because it was the home of many forms of worship, including emperor worship. This idea that the emperor, that the Caesar, was worthy of worship. I find it hard to believe that people would submit themselves to this, to, to worship a person. But in a way, we often do that ourselves. We may not think of them as being a god, but we give them a lot of that sort of impact in our world. And God calls us to worship Him and to worship Him alone. Now, either one of these reasons would give value to the statement of this being where Satan's throne resided. And it's important for us to, to see that, to understand that. The second thing is that Jesus makes reference to Antipas, a faithful witness who, from our reading, gave his life because of his faith. Now, we're familiar with Stephen from the book of Acts often referred to as one of the first martyrs. He stood up, he preached, and what happened? He was stoned and he was killed. He preached the truth about Jesus and died at the hands of others. That's what a martyr is. And while we don't know much about Antipas, we know that his fate was similar. Standing for the name of Jesus when people actually start dying is a powerful statement. We haven't had to face that here in our country. There may, it may come a day but it's not here. There are other places in the world that that does happen. People that stand for Christ and they die. Now, either one of these things that we see, whether it was called Satan's throne or whether it was uh, them standing in the face of the death of Antipas, either one of those things might move us to silence, but not so for the church at Pergamon. Maybe it'd help us to envision a place that's a more modern society or maybe that you've seen on television. Think about if you lived in a totally different kind of community. Think of Salt Lake City, Utah, home of the Mormon church. And we classify the Mormon church as a cult because of their unbiblical views of Jesus Christ. But imagine being a Christian in a community that's largely focused on something else. Your friends at school or at work believe something that doesn't line up with the word expressed as truth. And while you may not face any physical threat, you face societal pressures all around you. Think of Las Vegas. It's a city where pleasure is king, and you're hit with it as soon as you get off the plane. I remember that first trip. It was a business trip. I was working for Bedford's. I was the chaplain of the company. We were being honored as the Photo Marketing Association Store of the Year. It was a big deal. So Stan, he invited us all to go out. He put us on a plane, red-eye there, right, I mean, it was just down and back, but all of a sudden, as you, as you step off of the plane, you are hit 
with the visual things and the sin that's in Las Vegas. Now, both of these examples give us a taste of what the church at Pergamum endured. They were standing for Christ in a community that not only looked down upon them due to the name that they were standing for, but they faced possibility of real persecution. I often think about our own community here, in Fayetteville and really all of northwest Arkansas. It's one of the more theologically liberal parts of the state, and there's no way around that. What we need to understand is for us to stand for the name of Jesus here, it's going to get harder and harder. Whether it's in the public school or whether it's in the workplace, it will get harder. However, God wants us to do the same as the church at Pergamum. We are to stand boldly and faithfully in the light of the confusing, confusing world and the culture that we exist in. So if we look at this church, we go, all right, they were doing something great. Commendation. That was their pat on the back. You were standing for the name of Jesus in a difficult society, at a place where you may face persecution. You could face the threat of death. It's important for us to understand that. But Jesus needed to make sure that they were aware of where they were also failing, the condemnation, that thing that was wrong. The second thing that we're looking at is found in verses 14 and 15. The church at Pergamum is one that took its eyes off of the truth. Verse 14, there the Bible says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. In spite of their stand for the name of Jesus, they had deviated from what we know as foundational. Some there embraced other faiths. They looked to other solutions. Recently, I was in class with a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah is a pastor. He's originally from Nigeria. Um, we were sitting there, and I'm just so fascinated about his story. But he started sharing with us about some of the issues of the African believers. There's a, and I hope I get this word right, syncretic nature of African believers. Meaning that, yes, they believe in Jesus, but yes, they believe in the gods that were there, that they believed in all their lives. So there's this issue that they would mash them together and they would say, Jesus and, rather than Jesus and Jesus alone. He's dealing with this in the States. He's actually from Detroit, but that's what his dissertation that he was going to focus in on is how that would work. You know, it seems out of character for us, for us to even think that, because we have more of a problem with helping people understand and believe in the supernatural, believe that God is real rather than believe that this God is real as well as our God is real. That's not something that we would normally struggle with. But that's what was going on here. The church of Pergamum was like the believers that my friend Isaiah was referring to. They believed in Jesus and would stand for his name, but they had not fully embraced the truth of Scripture that there is only one God and one way to heaven. <coughs> anything additional, anything additional over Jesus is robbing God of the glory that he deserves. The church of Pergamum had some in their midst believing the truths of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. They proposed two things that were of issue, eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and the practice of sexual immorality. 
The sexual immorality was often tied to the temples of worship that were there in that community. It's important for us to know that this was the issue. That yes, they stood for Jesus. They stood for the name of Christ in a difficult situation. But they allowed other things to creep into their belief system and how they operated as a church. And Jesus was pointing these things out. He calls for the correction. So we've seen that thing that they were doing well. We see that thing that they needed to fix. Now he calls for the correction. <clears throat> Verse 16, we understand that the church of Pergamum is one that must repent and embrace the word. Verse 16, the Bible says, therefore repent. We could just stop right there. But he goes on, it says, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And we're going to hear about that in, a, in just a moment as we look at consequences. But what we need to understand is this idea of repent. Now, I've often heard and been told and understand repent to be this change of direction. We're headed this direction, and we need to turn back this way. In this case, God is calling us to repent, to turn from this thing that is wrong and turn back to him and his word and his truth. And that's what we see. Now, there were two groups that needed to repent in this place at this time. There were those that were the sinners that we would call the sinners, those eating meat sacrificed to idols and those committing sexual immorality were, of course, need to repent from their sins. Those that believe those things, those that were stepping into those things, and we can see and we can understand that. But what the words of Christ here are saying is that they have to go beyond that. It's not just those that are committing those things that need to repent. This church needed to repent because they were allowing those things to happen within their body. There's a subject that we don't talk a lot about in our churches, not anymore anyway, the idea of church discipline. God has called us to make sure that our fellow believers are walking in the way, walking in the way that God has called us to, to help them grow, to mature, that sense of discipline, that idea. And this church was not. So not only were those that were involved in those things needed to repent, that church needed to repent because they had allowed those things to go on. It is important that we see this great need to repent, to seek God's forgiveness for things we personally might not have done. Our church might have done that, didn't stand things that we, we didn't stand against. Are we responsible for our faith family? Absolutely. We have to speak up. We have to step into those things, and we have to repent. There are things that may have happened in the past here at Calvary that we corporately need to repent of and to seek forgiveness for as a body that weren't, that weren't stood up against. It is important that you understand this idea of repent. God is calling us to repent and to embrace the word. Unfortunately, that's what wasn't happening here. If they had really embraced the word, they would have seen that these things were wrong and they would have stood against them. Said in verse 14, the, they, there was food, eating of food, sacrifice to idols, a practice of sexual immorality. 
They were holding to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. The second thing that we see under this is that they needed to do was embrace the truth of God's Word. There are three, four passages that I want to briefly share. You just jot them down. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to embrace God's word so that we won't sin against him, that we as a congregation won't sin against God. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We embrace God's word so that we will understand what we need to be doing as believers and what we need to be doing as a church. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These words are here for us to learn, to share, for us to grow in our relationship with God. 2 Peter 1, 19-21 uh, just confirms this idea that God is the one who gives these words and that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's Word is from God. The Holy Spirit moved men to write these words down. Do we know exactly what that looked like? No. But we do know that this wasn't some man's idea. It was entirely God's. So we've looked at the commendation. We've looked at the condemnation. We've looked at the correction that needed to go on and maybe needs to go on in, in our own lives. Do we need to repent? Do we need to embrace God's word more fully? Well, there are some consequences that we're going to face the church of Pergamum if they didn't follow through. The church of Pergamum must hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We must hear what God's Word is saying to us as a church. Verses 16 and 17, again, right after, therefore repent, says, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I'll give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. One of the biggest issues in the field of church revitalization is the inability of a congregation to recognize their need for change. They're unwilling to see the reality of their situation or open their ears to what the Spirit is trying to tell them. It isn't anything new. None of us want to hear and acknowledge when there are things going on wrong in our own lives. In this passage, Jesus is warning them against their unwillingness to hear and to change. If they don't listen, Jesus will arrive on the scene and war against them with the sword of his mouth. If they do listen, though, if they do listen, if they repent, if they embrace the word of God, what does he say? He's going to give them victory. Now, there are three things given here that don't mean a whole lot to us because of the time that it was written to talk about the hidden manna, a symbol of victory, the white stone, and the new name. All of these things are symbols of victory. If we embrace God's word, if we repent and turn from these other things and embrace God's word, that's when we face victory. And we have victory. So, 
Will we listen to Jesus and make changes as needed? It can be hard if we have fallen into patterns, but God calls us to listen and to obey. So how do we obey here at Calvary? I want to give you three things, and then we're going to be done this morning. Three things to apply to our lives that we can take from this passage. Number one, we must love the Word. I don't know about you, there are times, especially growing up, but even today, there are a lot of things that I love more than sitting and reading the Bible. Now, that's a hard thing to hear from one of your pastors, right? <laughs> but you know what? I let other things get into my life. I let other things stand in the way. I should love God's Word. I should love to sit and to read it and to embrace it. And there are times that I do. And it's my goal, what I'm working towards all the time, for me to read, for me to pray, for me to meditate on the Word. You know, one of the things that I've used this example, and probably way too much over the years, but just if I want to get to know my wife and know my wife better, I have to spend time with her. It's really the same with anybody that you want to get to know, have a relationship with. You have to spend time with them. It's the same with God. If I want to get to know God and really love him, I have to spend time in his word. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but I do know that Calvary Baptist Church, we must love God's word. That's a foundational issue. It is something that we do, and I've seen, and I love that we love the word. But we've got to read, we've got to pray, we've got to meditate on the word. The second application point is that Calvary must study the word. And I will say that we've done a very good job of that. Even in the midst of the pandemic, we've continued on. We have a Sunday school time that is focused in on the Gospel Project, which is stepping through the Word of God on a three-year cycle. And I love that. I love the fact that we can come together. When my kids were in high school, the one great thing was that I could talk to them about what was going on in their Sunday school class because it was the same lesson, the same material, looking at the same point. And you could do that with any age bracket here. That's a valuable point. So our Sunday school time, we spend time in our life groups. They have a Bible component. Now it may be more about the food and worship, or, uh, fellowshipping and spending time together, but there is a Bible component with your life groups. There's also a big Bible component with our faithful men and faithful women. We spend time in the Word here. We study the Word here. And I hope that that's a part of your life and part of your lifestyle. Well, Pastor Kirk and I have both talked about the SOAP method before, uh, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. There are other ways that you can approach that. But the main thing is to get into the Word and to study the Word. God wants us to do that. Calvary must do that. We must study the Word. See, a revitalized church is one that embraces the truth of God's Word. And for that to happen, we must love the Word, we must study the Word, and boy, this last one is so important, so vital as we move forward as a church. We must share the Word. Now, it is one thing. It's an important thing for us to give money to the Gideons. It's an important thing for us to give money to our missions programs. But God calls each and every one of us to share the word with those around us. I think, well, I, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I, I struggle in that area. How has God worked in your life? 
That is the simple thing that we can share with someone, and that's where we start. Then we invite people to come and to worship with us and hear Pastor Kirk teach or our, our Sunday school teach, teacher share. It is important that we share the word. We need to think of ways to share the word with those around us. Now, we often think about, we often think about that being evangelism. We think about it being these other things, but we've just got to get creative. If we want to reach our community, if we want to grow and thrive here at Calvary, here in Fayetteville, and, and to exist as a church, we must be about sharing the word. Now, there is the truth. We must make evangelism a priority if we hope to experience growth of any significance here. But it starts by the simple things. Praying for our lost friends, praying for those around us that need God's word, looking for those opportunities, and then just simply inviting someone. You know, we could in, implement so many different programs. There's all sorts of things we could do. We could run ads here and there and everywhere, but none of those things are as powerful as when I go to someone and say, hey, come and worship with me here at Calvary. Come sit with me. Hey, we're going to, I just want you to come. and to, I'd love for that. Would you come and worship with me? That is powerful. And that is how we start sharing the word. Simple steps as we go forward. You see, a church that is revitalized, a church that experiences renewal, is all these things. It's a church that places faith over fear. It is a church that loves God wholeheartedly. And today, we understand that a revitalized church is a church that embraces the truth of God's Word. Are we going to do that here at Calvary? Are we going to embrace God's Word, follow what He tells us to, and share it? with those that are around us. That's my prayer, and that's my hope, and that's my challenge today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and how you work. I just ask that as we, as we leave this place today, that we will be challenged to step forward and to, to love you. to love your word, and to share that with others. Father, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for this church. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.